Welcome to this special ProPass webinar series. We have started a collaboration with ProPass Consortium and are publishing their webinars in podcast format so more people can benefit from their useful content. In short, ProPass is an international research collaboration platform of cohorts using Taiwan accelerometry to explore the effects of physical activity, posture, and sleep patterns on a wide range of health outcomes. Without further ado, let's jump to ProPass webinar. Thanks, Joe. So we'll now move on to our final cohort. So I'm pleased to introduce Associate Professor Christina Bjork-Peterson, who comes from the National Institute of Public Health at the University of Southern Denmark. And Christina leads on the Danish Health and Morbidity Study. So over to you, Christina. Thank you very much. Can you see my... Uh, yes, you can good? learn. Yes. They're not yet in full text. Oh, there we go. I can see them. Thank yes. you. Perfect. Uh, thank you very much, Joe. So I will be introducing you to the Danish Health and Morbidity Survey, um, in which we have piloted, we are doing a pilot study, a feasibility study on how to use uh, accelerometers in um, measuring physical activity. So I'll be speaking a little bit about how we've uh, done it. We're not going to give you any results on, on physical activity because we're still analyzing results. And together with me, I have Martin, who has actually done all the work and collecting the data. So he'll be talking a little bit about what we actually did and then how we have um, collected the data. So first of all, a little bit about what is the Danish Health and Mobility Survey. It's actually a part of the Danish National Health Profile. And I just draw a picture out here to show you that the Danish Health uh, Profile is combined of six subsamples. So we have the Danish Health and Mobility Survey, which is a national representative sample. Combined with that, we have subsamples from each region in Denmark. And together, we, we compile these data and together they all make up the Danish uh, National Health Profile. So, and th this has been conduct conducted since 2010. So they are, they are cross-sectional and uh, conducted every fourth year. It takes place, the data collection is a combination of digital mail. As, so we send out uh, by um, digital mail, and we have a digital mailbox in Denmark. So they get a letter in that. So it's sort of like official mailbox. And for those who are not connected to a digital mailbox, they get a physical letter. So the, the traditional way. In 2021, we sent out 3,024,000 uh, invitations to people aged 16 or above in, living in Denmark. And we had a response rate of 60, of 56, of nearly 57%. But in 2021, as you remember, we had a COVID epidemic. And so a lot of the results were actually influenced by all the activities closing down. So there was interest in trying to do a midterm survey. And that's what we did in uh, 2000. So when we were doing that, we got, we received funding for also collecting more 
detailed information on physical activity using a Taiwan accelerometer. We used, Martin will probably get back to that, we used the Sense device. So we got funding for testing that. So the, the aim is to see, is this, this actually, I think I will say the aim is to, to see, is this actually feasible? So how can we use this as a supplement to questionnaire information on physical activity uh, sedentary time and sleep in the Danish health and mobility survey. So just uh, repeat that this was done on a subsample uh, in the national health profile, but the aim is actually to see whether this can be feasible for upscaling for the whole national health profile, or at least a larger part of the maybe in some regions to a start. And the other aim is to see how does the measure we get obtained from these devices, how do they correlate to the self-reported information on physical activity and sleep. So I think over to you, Martin, to tell us a little bit about what, what we did. Yeah, thank you very much. I hope my hand is coming through. I'll take that yep. as the yes. Okay, so as Christina alluded to, we've used the Essential Motion device. And yeah, on top of piloting the use of an accelerometer in a national health survey, we've also decided to pilot the use of a new device, at least none of us had experience with it going into it. So the device, as some of you know, is able to communicate to a mobile phone application. And we used one developed by Andrea Feldeman and his team at NFA and adapted that to fit our needs. So what we did was we registered the, the participants online, set a device up for them, and then, then packed them a letter containing the device and an information letter and various other things they would need to apply the device. We then mailed it to them in the letter. And when they got it, they were instructed to download the new motor system app that we developed in which they both activate the device and fill in dire information on sleeping hours and work periods used later to determine for instance sleep as was discussed earlier today and separate working time activity from leisure time activity. During the week, we uh, asked the participants to wear the device. We sent them notifications through text messaging uh, on the phone. If we could see that they'd not either filled in their diary or had the app open so that data could be uploaded to the cloud. And this was done to ensure that we both got diary information and had the, had the data back with us. After a week, participants were out to return the device in an envelope that was sent with the letter. And usually it took about one month from the date we sent out the letter till we had it returned to us. Christina, is there anything else you want to add here? Otherwise, I'd like to. Perfect. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd like to uh, just have a breakdown of how it's actually done. So, we had ten thousand respondents to the uh, survey, and in order to be eligible for the accelerometer study, you had to had answered the survey. So, from the ten thousand, we had sixteen hundred who said, "Yeah, I want to." I want to participate in this, provide the correct information. So they were dropped from the study. But as of a week ago, we had 1,041 persons who completed the study wearing the accelerometer for either seven days or 14 days. We split the, uh, 
split into five groups because we didn't have 1500 kilometers available, unfortunately. And the fifth group, which was around 250 people, was asked to wear the accelerometer for 14 days. I can see now, it's just checked our data. A week later, we've actually had 70 people who's worn the accelerometer for 14 days. And the reason we split from seven to 14 days was to check, is there any difference between the first week of wearing the device and the second week of wearing the device? Because we hypothesize, as my nephew have probably also been thinking, what influence does wearing the device actually have on physical activity levels? And we're hoping to, hmm, yeah, what are we hoping to? We're hoping to. We hope that it doesn't make a difference. (laughs) We hope that it doesn't make a difference. We hope they stay consistent in their levels throughout the 14 days, but they might change their levels after a week. That's something we expect to see a bit of, but hope not. (laughs) Yeah. So feasibility study with. 10,000, uh, sorry, not 10,000, but uh, 1,000 participants so far. We're closing our data collection at the end of October. So room for a few more. Yes. Yeah. And that was all from us for now. So that was a quick introduction to uh, a data collection that is still going on. Great. Thanks, Christine and Martin. Uh, also appreciate the up-to-date uh, numbers um, as they're coming in. Um, so you've had a, a couple of questions come through. So the first from um, Aiden Doherty is asking about the response rate. So there was less than 20% that actually accepted the invite, which is is lower than um, other studies and, and lower than what Richard presented um, from a systematic review earlier. So were you surprised by that? Well, I think I'll just move back to how we actually recruited the participants because the first step was to send out the letters and the The past few surveys, we had a bit over the 50% participation rate. This, for this round, we had 1% actually responding to the survey. And then the next step is from these people that are responding to the survey, then it drops even further for the people who are um, accepting to participate in the, this extra workload and put on the accelerometer. So, so. I think it all depends on how we actually look at the re- response rate. Is it is it the people that are actually accepting to participate? Is it the people that accept to participate all over? So, well, in a way, and I'm not surprised. I'm actually um, the the opposite. We were actually very positive that we even got that much. So it was it was bigger than expected because I know there's a lot of experience for from studies doing the same recruitment that has a lower response rate. So we were actually uh, quite surprised that we actually got so many people that wanted to participate. Thank you. And you did stress that it was a feasibility study. So can you speak about any of the kind of key challenges of assuming you're trying to obtain a nationally representative sample with the objective measures? So yeah, what are the key challenges and how are you going to try and overcome them? Well, I think the main challenge is it's actually going back to the response rate and the representativeness because it is going to be used for a national health profile. There was a, there will be a lot of interest in interest in is this really representative of the the Danish population? And if you only have uh, about twenty percent uh, of the population, who are the people that actually participate in this? So that's actually our main concern is what, who are we actually measuring and how can we overcome this? And that's why I also stress that we need to look 
this as a supplement to the questionnaire data because right now it cannot stand alone. We we have too too little participation rate to let it be on its own. So we also need to keep working on our questionnaire measures. Uh, can you speak a bit about your plans? So if if sort of all goes well with your analysis of the, the initial data, how many do you want to extend it to? And then also, do you have plans to link this up to electronic healthcare databases? Yes, I think we actually will see this is still going on. So it's difficult to to answer uh, until we looked at the data. But my my impression is that we will probably if we get the funding, we will do this again uh, in 25, where we have the next round, and do it um, as a part of the uh, health and mobility survey once again. So we have the national, uh, the national sample, and then we will ask uh, if the regions are in Denmark willing to also test or use it. It would be probably volunteer for the regions, so so it will be a supplement to the questionnaire and we will hope that we get um, a greater sample but at least I think we will go for uh, repeating the sample size again and for the last part of the question yes we will link data to registers great fantastic thank you thanks for joining us this week on physical activity research podcast if you like the show Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.